This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Go stand with me. We're going to be reading John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. As you know, we are going through this series called Loved, Love Walked Among Us. Uh, so... What I'm going to do, I'm going to read the text, and then we'll, we'll dive in. John 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test them, that they might have some charge to bring against them. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin no more. This is the reading. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Hmm. I love this text. I'm excited to preach it this morning because I feel there's so much that um, the Lord is saying to us that he's saying that he's saying to the church. So I want to go through different ways that we're going to look at it. So first, I, I just want to, I want to just look at the woman, okay? Now, the woman here, she represents the everyday sinner. The everyday sinner, like me, like you, but exposed. Your sins exposed. But let's, let's be more specific here. Because the everyday sinner was not accountable to, to the, the covenant laws of relationship with God. So she more specifically represented the people of God. You see... The woman caught in adultery represents us, more specifically us, the church. So let's let's look at her a little bit more closely. Just just think what she's going through. You see, we don't don't know the, the backdrop of everything. We don't know everything that's going on here. We don't we don't we don't know if she's a prostitute that, that slept with somebody's husband. And that's why she was being accused. We don't, 
We don't know if she is a wife caught in the act. We don't know if, if she's somebody's mistress. We just know that, that her sin is exposed. It says she was, she was caught in the very act of it. So regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on, she is guilty. And here she is, exposed in front of her peers, in front of her leaders, in front of God himself. And you just look and you could just, you notice a silence just throughout this whole thing. She doesn't, she doesn't say anything to the end. You could, you could feel her shame. You could almost smell the condemnation. That's the woman. Also, there's the scribes and the Pharisees here. Let's, let's look at them. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they was attempting to, to trap Jesus in at least two ways, right? At least two ways, but there's a heart to it. You see, there was one way where if he, if he doesn't condemn the woman to stoning, then he's disobeying the laws of Moses. You going to do it? If he doesn't, he's disobeying the laws of Moses. But if he does do it, then he's, he's breaking the Roman laws because the Romans was like, yo, man, y'all can't just be going around killing people left and right. I, we, we get it. That's your laws. But if you want to do it, you need to bring up charges in our courts. And we decide what's going to go down there. Y'all can't just be doing it. So if he says, no, he's not going to have a stone, you're breaking the laws of Moses. If he says, yeah, go ahead, then, then, then oh, you're breaking the Roman laws. It said they wanted to find a charge against him. But there was something more. You see, they wanted to put him in a spotlight while he was teaching. It said he was in the temple and he was teaching when all this happened. And, and you could tell that they, they hoped that he would cave to the public opinion. Would he choose the woman or the law like a real teacher would? You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he became known for the centrality of compassion in the side of his life and inside of his teachings. He's known for this. He, he, was, he was known for how he, he lived into love. That's the only way that this trap worked. The fact that people knew that he loved deeply. They knew that he had much compassion. So they knew that this would be the perfect thing to set him up to try to trap him. What is he going to do? If they could get him to stone the woman, they would get him to stray away from the pattern of compassion he was known for. You see... A lot of times when we, we see that people will take advantage of the good natures of our hearts, to, we start to think that, that we need to toughen up, but we need to change, and we start to look at it as, as, as a sign of weakness. So I got I to gotta put my ice grill on. I got I to gotta get, get, get really 
hard hair and stuff because people is taking it for weakness. But when people try to take advantage of your compassion, they're treating you like Jesus. That's a strength, not a weakness. Don't listen to the world tell you that that's a weakness. You see, the true pain of sin is that it offends a holy God. That's the true pain of sin. And Deuteronomy is talking about sin, but every time it talked about sin, it always referred to it as idol worship. Every single time, no matter what it was, it would say, man, then they started worshiping the idols. And then they would talk about little everyday sins. But every time they talked about it, it was considered idolatry and idol worship. It was considered breaking the covenant with God. It was considered adultery. I was sinful. Idolatry breaks the heart of God, but that's not what the... The scribes and Pharisees cared about at that time, even though they was presenting her. That wasn't, that wasn't what's on, a, on their hearts. And the other side of, of sin is, is it reveals the broken reality of a sinner, the, the disconnectedness of a person from God, a person needing restoration, a person needing deliverance. But, but they didn't care about the woman neither. They only cared about Proving their agenda. It had nothing to do with God. They wouldn't sit in there like, man, I'm so broken over this woman's offense to our great God. That wasn't the case. It wasn't, oh my gosh, this woman needs restoration. This is why we need to bring her in front of community. That wasn't the case. They had an agenda to prove, and she was just a pawn. They only cared about proving their, their agenda And the agenda of trapping Jesus became an idol to them. They even used scripture to try to attempt it. The thing is, when we engage scripture with our own agenda in mind, scripture stops being about God to us, but instead it's used as a tool against God because it's about his agenda, not ours. So what you're trying to do with scripture right here is coming against the holy God that wrote scriptures for his purposes, but you're just trying to manipulate it for yours. Ah. And sometimes... Sometimes when we go to confront someone, confront them in their, in their sin, I want to be honest, it's not, a lot of times it's not really a, about God. It's not really about them. It's about you having something to prove. I, I, I'm trying to drive a point here. Scripture becomes a tool to, to prove your point, to prove your agenda. And, 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 and then all of that, they, they bring her in front of the people. But none of this is about God. It's about what was going on inside of their own hearts. It's about the war that was going on inside of their own hearts. Man, listen, how many people have we hurt calling ourselves confronting sin? And it really wasn't about them or the sin. It was about what you were going through on the inside. How many people have we hurt because of your pain or your frustration or your disbelief, but I'm confronting sin? 
Pharisees, Pharisees didn't see Jesus for who he is. They didn't see God in the flesh. It wasn't about the, the woman or her sin. It was because they had an issue with God and couldn't see past themselves to notice it. How many times? How many times have we hurt people confronting sin because we couldn't see God? Well, we see everything that's going on. It looks so messy, but we couldn't see God. We, we didn't trust God and his sovereign hand in the midst of it. And at some level, we had an, an issue with God. But it's all, it's all masked by the quoting of scriptures. They came and they start quoting scriptures to him. Moses' Lord says this. Well, we looked at the woman. We looked at the Pharisees. But I'm going to spend most of our time looking at Jesus. He was teaching inside the temple when all this goes down. And everyone, everyone is affected. I want to I think about Jesus and the woman here. What happens with Jesus and the woman? See, just looking at this text, one of the things I notice is that he doesn't start the conversation with the woman confronting her sin. That's not how he starts. Like, she doesn't say nothing the whole time. And then eventually when he, when, he, when he talks to her, he doesn't lead in with condemnation. You see, love doesn't lead with condemnation. I got to go approach you, and, but, but love doesn't let me start off with condemning you. Let me lead in. He doesn't do that. You don't see that inside the text. She's obviously in the wrong. She did something wrong, caught in the act, but he doesn't lead in with condemnation. Just imagine her. She already feels condemned. She's in front of everybody. Her, her shameful silence said it all. Surrounded by a bunch of men, by herself, a bunch of men grabbed her and brought her over here. Now, he doesn't lead in with condemnation, but instead shows that none of her accusers had the power to condemn her. Yeah. I, I know you're surrounded by all of this, but none of them have the power to condemn you. Let me start off with that. That's how he enters in. Where they at? Who's left? And the only one that's left doesn't condemn her neither him. Huh. You know what else I notice? He doesn't preach a sermon to her. I'm guilty of that, boy. Who said amen? There's another one of my kids, right? <laughs> He doesn't preach. I, I tell you, I remember one time we were going to have a conversation with one of my kids, and I, I sit down and I wrote it. I'm gonna, first, I'm going to address this. I'm going to get these points right here and stuff. No. He doesn't preach a sermon to her. Just a, like she already knows she's in sin. 
And now it's all exposed. She knows this. She already knows she deserved death, but she's still breathing. The Pharisees, they probably preached mass sermons to her all the way there, dropping this law and dropping that law. She probably heard it all already. You see, sometimes less words is more. Sometimes less words speak way more. You see, she'll spend more time contemplating the gravity of the few words that Jesus said than the abundance of everything else that said that she was condemned. You see, sometimes we think we need to state the obvious when it's the not-so-obvious that needs to be brought to attention in not-so-many words. And if, you, and if you're thinking that by using less words and showing compassion that, that, that he excuses her sin, you're wrong. That's not what happens here. You see, he handles it without condemning her. That's what he does. You see, love confronts sin without condemning It goes in and says, I need to confront this. I need to address this. I need to deal with it, but not in such of a way that I'm condemning you. That's why the Bible says, let he who is spiritual go and restore someone with the spirit of gentleness. What it does is it causes you to rely on the Holy Spirit and how you do it because that's a fruit of the Spirit. So he deals with her and he tells her to go, go. You're free from condemnation. You're free from bondage. He says, go. But in your freedom, sin no more. That's repentance. Turn. You're, go. You're free. You're not, you're not bound to have to do any of this, but sin no more. Well, that's Jesus and, and the woman. But let's look at Jesus and the Pharisees. There's so much going on here. You see, the Pharisees tried to use the law to trap Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they've been studying the law left and right. They know it like the back of their hands. They, they try to use the law to trap Jesus, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. It said, it said that he wrote in the sand with the finger of his, of his hand, with his finger. He was writing in the sand with his finger. In Luke 11, verse 20, Jesus, is, he's casting out demons, and the people try to confront him. The scribes and Pharisees try to confront him, and Jesus says this, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Uh, as he's writing in the ground, on the ground with his finger, you see, if Jesus described his own hand as the finger of God, then that gives context to Exodus 31 and 18, which reads, And he gave to Moses 
When he had finished speaking with him on the Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. That's the law. The very same God writing with his finger inside his hand in the sand. The very same God casting out demons with his finger. The very same God that wrote the very law that they're trying to use to trap them. Oh, he knows the law better than they do. He wrote it. So with that in mind, he flips the script on her. You think you know my law? I got you. You see, the law did say that she should be stoned. That's true. But there were vital elements of the law that they were missing. So he brings those things up. You see, along with the law of adultery that said she should be stoned was the law of witnesses, right? You see this in Deuteronomy 17 and 5. I don't have time to pull it up, so I'll put it up there. You can go look it up. Deuteronomy 17 and 5 is the law of witnesses. You see, any sin that involved the death penalty had to have no less than two witnesses, right? No less than two witnesses, and and that's so that no one is getting framed. It can't just be one person. It had to be no less than two witnesses, and, and, and the witnesses had to be the first people to throw the stone. But when you keep reading down to Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 19, they continue to talk about said witnesses. And it said, if someone was a false witness... They had to get the very same punishment that they were trying to get that person to get. See, this is the context here. So when Jesus said, he who without sin cast the first stone, uh, it speaks in generalities to us, but it had specific applications for them. He's specifically talking about, in the context of this thing, you're calling yourself witnesses. Okay, well, the the witness that ain't a fake witness, the witness that don't have their hands dirty in the midst of this, you cast the first stone. He who is without sin. Basically, whichever one of y'all ain't bearing false witness right now. Yeah, she was caught... And the act, so yes, she was guilty, but there was more going on here. There was more going on. Like, how do you you think all these guys knew exactly when and where this sin was going to happen to be able to converge and happen to catch him in the act? As a matter of fact, the very same law that they're stating here says that both of the people where they get stoned, but where's the man? The very law said they both need to come. She here by herself. Something more is going on here, and Jesus knows that. So the moment he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone, that's the moment that he invokes the law of witnesses. I know the law better than you, buddy. And that's when they was like, shucks. <laughs> so it says, as they're contemplating this, uh-oh, we know that Lord too, so forgot about it. It says the older ones dropped, it, dropped the stones first. 
The younger ones dropped the later. I'm thinking about it, and I'm saying, man, the older ones was probably the ones that was, that was coming up with the plan, like, yo, we'll catch them this way. The younger ones were the one that was like, yo, I know where all the girls are at, and I'll get the girls. We're going to trap that one. And, they, and they, they're probably all working in cahoots. It just it makes me think about how as I get older, I'm more quicker to repent because I'm more aware of, of my sin and the massive grace of God in my life. Yeah. And I reflect on the arrogance of my youth that was so slow to recognize it, so slow to drop the stone. What Jesus does is he forces them to examine themselves. Examine yourself, because you are up next. And then after careful examination, none of them were credible witnesses. That's why they all leave. And Jesus knew this. He knew that this was going to happen. He's God. And he also knew that the law of adultery required at least two credible witnesses. So Jesus is enacting a whole other thing during this time. That's why he's, he seems distracted. They're talking to him. They, they, they're hurling their questions, and he's like writing in the sand, and he's standing up. He is going through a whole other routine. You see, Jesus is enacting the ritual of jealousy. It's in Numbers 5, verses 11 to 31, but let me explain it to you. You see, in the ritual of jealousy, if a husband suspects his wife of adultery, he's not sure, but I really think it is and stuff, you know, when she, he's, he's suspecting it, but, but there are no credible witnesses. They're all guilty, or, or, or there's, no one, there's no credible witnesses, but the spirit of jealousy is on him. For, for some reason, he's so jealous about what's going on with his, with his wife. So what he does is he brings her to the priest, right? Now, y'all need to follow these things. He brings her to the priest. Then when he brings her to the priest, the husband has to also bring an offering of ephah and barley flour, right? Yeah. He's, he's bringing her to the priest, and there's an offering that the husband himself has to offer up, has to give up of, of ephah and barley flour. This offering is called the offering of remembrance, all right? It's for the wife to remember iniquity and sin. So it's offered up in remembrance of this iniquity and sin. The priest then takes holy water and puts it inside of a cup. And then he takes dust from the floor of the tabernacle and puts it inside of the water too. And then he takes the wife and he puts her hand in the offering of remembrance, the flower, right? He puts her hands in the offering of, the, of remembrance. And then the woman has to examine herself. Wow. Think deeply. Examine yourself. And then the woman has to recite these vows saying whether or not she, she is innocent or not. And, and, and what the, the priest does, and he takes the, the dust from, from the ground and he puts it on this book. And he starts to write in the book these, these curses written in the book with his finger from the floor, right? And then he washes it into the water, wow. into the cup, right? 
And then the woman has to drink the water mixed with dust from the floor. It's called the cup of bitterness. Now, in this scenario, God is the only one that can judge the person, right? There are no credible witnesses. God is the only one that can judge, right? Huh? And the husband, he accuses the wife of adultery, and God alone can judge between the two. Now, basically with a turn and say, all right, God, you know, you see all things, and she drinks it. And if she has committed adultery and God finds her guilty, then a cup of bitterness is like drinking poison. It leads to death. It leads a whole bunch of issues on the inside. But if she is innocent, it has no effect on her whatsoever. At this moment, God declares her innocent and she is free to go. She's free to go. He restores the relationship between her husband and her wife, and they leave free from the bondage of iniquity and sin. That is the ritual of jealousy. You see, Jesus is enacting the ritual of jealousy right here. He's going there. He knows there's no credible witnesses. The woman is accused of adultery. There's no credible witnesses. Jesus takes on his role as priest, and he's receiving the woman brought to him. He's writing in the dust on the ground. He himself is the holy water. No one else can judge her but him as God. And he finds her guilty but treats her like she's innocent. Hallelujah. You're free to go like she's innocent. But sin no more. I know you're guilty. You see... There's no way to love people like Jesus without examining yourself in light of Jesus. There's no way. But there's something, something else going on here that, that we need to know. There's another reason why this story is here for us to read. You see... When Jesus instituted communion, he called us all to take part in the ritual of jealousy. Paul is trying to explain this to the church in Corinthians. Let me read it to you and let's look at it a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 23, it reads like this. 11, 23 to 32, it reads like this. We're going to dive into it. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. Then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. 
But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's look at this. It says, it says, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus is the husband accusing his wife of betrayal, of adultery. He institutes communion. You're going through this trial with me. Jesus is the husband accusing his wife of adultery. There are no credible witness because we've all been participating inside of this wickedness. There's no credible witnesses here. He's both the husband and the priest bringing the wife unto himself. That's what's happening in communion. Look, 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 look. 24, he he took the bread and when it was given, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. You see, in the the offering of jealousy, uh, the husband would bring an offering of ephah and barley, which was used to make bread. The offering was called the offering of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. What are you remembering? Sin. What did he die for? Our sin. Come on, come on. He's walking us through this. Go to verse 25, in the same way, also he took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the blood was represented by wine and wine was in the cups. You see, wine is bitter, the cup of bitterness. Remember his death. For our sins. Come on, come on. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment until himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Look, remember, remember, if she was found guilty, it was like drinking poison. Ah, you see that inside the text? If she was found guilty, it was like drinking poison. So she would be drinking judgment unto herself, damnation unto herself. And it said the accused wife had to examine herself. Remember, they would put her hands in the flower and say, you have to examine yourself and, and, and voice what you're saying here. So, so, so they had to examine themselves. What did he say to us right here? He said, do the exact same thing. Examine himself. Yes. Hallelujah. We have to examine ourselves. Hallelujah. And it said, if we are truly honest about our own sin... It would lead us to repentance. If we were truly honest about our own sin, we would not be judged. Oh, we, we, Jesus is like, no, 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 you're going through this ritual of jealousy. I don't know how many times in Scripture it says your God is a jealous God. I don't know how many times. Hallelujah. I want us to understand what's happening when we break bread and drink of the cup. Hallelujah, this story about this woman caught in the midst of adultery isn't just about that woman caught in the midst of adultery, but it's about God's bride. 
<sighs> but in 32, it says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let me connect it back to our verses today. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Guilty as charged, but treat it like you're innocent. Why? Because Jesus, the husbandman, took the punishment for you. He walked down. You drank the cup of bitterness. He went to the cross and died for it. Ah, catch what's happening here. Now when the father looks at you, he sees the union with the son who actually is innocent. So let me explain what happens here when we do communion and why we do communion the way that we do as we get ready to go into communion. I want to ask you to linger a bit. Sometimes we rush up way too quick. Linger a bit. And examine yourself. It's a serious deal here. God shows you sin inside of you. Repent for it. He's a good God. Yeah. Repent for both sin of omission and commission. Things that I know and things that I don't know. He's a good God. Even, even some of you may need prayer. We'll be over here. We'll pray with you. We're in the same boat. We, we all go to the altar as the bride of Christ, the wife being presented before God. And we partake in the offering of remembrance and the drink of bitterness. But get this. Here's the difference. Get this. Knowing that the priest now lives inside of us. That's why me and Aaron don't always do the communion from the stage. That's why we don't always do that because you need to know for yourself the priest is living inside of you. You can go to the throne room yourself. Hallelujah. And the only thing that makes us worthy to drink the cup it's our union with Christ. That's the only thing. I'm united with him. That's the only thing. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So, so if you're inside this room and you're sort of feeling a little way, know that Jesus loves you and there is no condemnation. Hallelujah. You can come and you can break bread. We are the adulteress that's found guilty but not condemned. Go and sin no more. So as we just open up the tables, again, I'm going to ask you linger. Pray. Break bread together. Know there is no condemnation, but be real about your sin and, and lift it up to God. And then let's worship our great God together. Again, if you need prayer, we'll be right here. We'll pray with you. The tables are open. Let's break bread with our king.
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.